Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Healthy Versus Toxic, the podcast where licensed mental health professionals explore what makes a relationship healthy or unhealthy or even abusive, all from a scientifically informed perspective. Hello, this is Dr. Grande. Today's question asks if I can take a look at paternal narcissism, but specifically in a case where it's a father-son relationship. So, a narcissistic father and a son. I'll answer this question in this video by looking at the seven signs of a narcissistic father. So even though I'm talking here about the father-son relationship, some of these, of course, would apply to other parent-child combinations. So a quick look here at narcissism. Narcissism is a personality construct. It has certain characteristics like a sense of entitlement, requiring admiration, being self-centered. It also has types, grandiose and vulnerable. Grandiose narcissism has characteristics like being extroverted, arrogant, socially dominant, so really confident in social situations, and resistant to criticism. It's also called overt narcissism. The other type is vulnerable, and this is also called covert. Here we see characteristics like having a lot of shame, hypersensitivity to criticism, and resentfulness. So what we see here is that higher levels of narcissism in a parent-child relationship, and specifically in a father-son relationship, are really associated with poor parenting. So just starting off, we know that narcissistic fathers typically don't do a good job. They're not proficient in most of the ways we think about the words good and proficient, right, in terms of this relationship. Now, when we specifically talk about a father-son relationship, and we talk about counseling at the same time, we often look at psychoanalytic work or psychodynamic work, because that area has a lot of research in it about this topic. And one of the things that comes up quite a bit with father-son would be this idea of the Oedipus complex. So the idea that the son is jealous of the father's relationship with the mother. So this term originated with Sigmund Freud, and a few other theorists kind of supported this, but this idea has really largely died out. And the Oedipus complex, of course, did not require or even mention that a father would be narcissistic, right? That was just a normal father-son relationship that could see the resolution or potentially the failure to resolve an Oedipus complex. So the dynamics of narcissism really change quite a bit depending on how many children and how many are sons and how many are daughters. Just like we see with the father-daughter relationship, the narcissistic father can be thought of in a few different ways. I mentioned the grandiose versus the vulnerable. Here I'm going to emphasize grandiose. And you also see a meshed versus distant. So grandiose narcissism can manifest in a relationship as somebody who's really over-involved with somebody else, so a father over-involved with his son, or quite distant. Here I'm going to be looking more at the meshed side, the over-involved side. So now looking at the seven signs of a narcissistic father, to avoid saying the phrase, the term narcissistic father over and over, in these signs I'm just going to use the term father, at least some of the time I'm going to do that, right? It just saves 
a lot of repetition of the word narcissistic. So sign number one is that for better or worse, the father is going to be a huge influence in the son's life. Again, talking about grandiose and an enmeshment situation. The father is a critical figure, often discussed by the son. The son will talk about a lot of the memories he has with the father. There's a clear understanding by the son of where the father positioned himself on certain issues, like the values of the father are fairly clear. Generally, at least in young adulthood, there's a genuine admiration by the son for the strength and the greatness of the father. And there's a desire to live up to the father's expectations. So this is important to keep in mind in counseling. We have to kind of think about the stages of development. And if a son of a narcissistic father is in his 20s or 30s, again, he's going to have a better chance of kind of idealizing the father. When the son is older, that may change quite a bit as he realizes the true nature of narcissism. Sign number two is the narcissistic father teaches the son a lot of maladaptive behaviors regarding how to approach other people. One of the areas that really stands out here is the father's advice to the son about relationships with women. So the father might say something like, women will hurt you. Don't trust women. Don't let women tell you what you should be doing. Or the man is the head of the household. The man is in charge. So again, kind of a lot of maladaptive, dysfunctional advice about relationships with women. But also, interestingly, the father has a lot of bad information and advice about other men. Don't trust other men. Men are just trying to steal your partner or your wife. And they might teach a son to be aggressive toward other men that are assertive toward them. So over-responding, reacting too strongly with anger. This is actually fairly common with grandiose narcissism. So essentially, the father teaches the son to escalate confrontations. So to take a confrontation at one level and move it to a more dangerous level. Sign number three is that the father will have a strong position on whether the son should have children of his own, right? So this is pretty interesting because this is not really directional. Like the position isn't always in one direction. It's just a strong position. So what we see here is in clinical practice, we see strong opinions in both ways. Have a lot of children or don't have any children. So some fathers say to his son, you should avoid women, avoid marriage, and avoid children. That helps you to protect your financial assets. And in terms of like sexual activity, just go on dates and have sex that way. Have fun. Don't commit, right? So really consistent with some of the advice we see in sign number two. But then on the other side, you see the father who desperately wants the son to find a mate, potentially get married, and have children. Because for the father, having the son meets a narcissistic need, and having grandchildren could meet a need as well. One thing we hear from the narcissistic father is the son should perpetuate the family name, carry on the legacy, carry on my legacy as a great leader in this family. So again, a strong position one way or the other on having children. So now moving to sign number four. Of these seven signs, sign number four is by far the longest one. It requires the longest explanation. So this sign is that the father lives vicariously through the son. Of course, we see this with the father-daughter relationship as well. But I think here, this is even a stronger effect. A stronger effect exists for the father-son relationship. A lot of this has to do with the grandiose fantasy component. So if we look at an extreme manifestation of narcissism, 
we see narcissistic personality disorder. This is a cluster B personality disorder in the DSM. And there are a lot of symptom criteria there. There are nine. And one of them involves having really exaggerated fantasies of power, success, wealth, and the ideal love. And this is usually not a symptom criterion that a lot of people are troubled with. If somebody's in a relationship with a narcissist, this particular symptom, if they have it, again, isn't usually thought of as particularly problematic. Some may even say that having these types of fantasies is ambitious. But these fantasies can be destructive, and we see a good example of this in the father-son relationship. So when we look at the symptom criterion, one of the reasons I think that people don't necessarily think this one is problematic is because it doesn't directly seem to affect people in a bad way, like being arrogant or being jealous or having a sense of entitlement or something really clear, clear behavior. And what we really see with this symptom is that people think of this as taking place in the future, right? So somebody's fantasizing right now about what will happen to them in the future. So in the case of the narcissistic father, he will be wealthy. He will find the perfect mate. He will be famous. And of course, this is true. There is a future orientation to these fantasies. But what's not mentioned here is there's also a past orientation to these fantasies. And this is where they really intersect with the father-son relationship. So here I'm going to give three examples and talk about each one a little bit to really illustrate this point well. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Hi there. I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor. So while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no. So now just really talking about the father, not necessarily the relationship with the son. When the father was in grade school or maybe in high school, perhaps they were given poor grades by several teachers. And they're going to have fantasies about this. Fantasies about going back in time and setting things right. But this recreation is not about succeeding where one failed. So it's not about getting an A 
when the father got an F, because the narcissist doesn't believe that he actually failed. It's about making the teachers understand how they were failures for giving the narcissist low grades. It's a fantasy about how the teachers' lives really didn't work out the way they wanted, how they were losers, how one of their greatest failures as a teacher was to not recognize the greatness of the narcissist. They had this narcissist sitting in their classroom, but still failed to miss one of the greatest people they could ever encounter. How foolish those teachers must feel now. So the narcissistic fantasy is to go back in time, or perhaps encounter these people in the present, and tell them how they were really losers. Tell them how they failed. And the narcissist can do this by showing them how successful he is. Right, And this will connect over to the father-son in a moment. First, I have two other examples. The next example is the father was bullied when he was a child. No one stood up for him. He was unable to fight back for himself. So the father has a legitimate complaint here, right? Because we know bullying is quite damaging. It actually contributes to narcissistic behavior. But either way, the fantasy involves revenge on the bullies, but also letting the bullies know how they were losers. Sounds like the teacher scenario how they bullied somebody who turned out again to be great and wonderful. The last example I'll use here, and this happens quite a bit, when the narcissist was young, when the father was young, he was rejected by a female love interest. The fantasy for the narcissistic father is not to go back in time and have that love interest say yes to going on a date or say that she loves him or whatever he was looking for. Again, it's to show her how foolish she was to miss the greatness of the narcissist, and really kind of make fun of her because she threw away an incredible opportunity to be with an amazing person. So with these three examples, notice how, again, the fantasies go into the past, and they're not about changing the past, but adding information to a situation in the past, right? Telling that person something about themselves. Again, mostly around the greatness of the narcissist, how they missed it. So at the first example of the bad grades, now looking at the father-son situation, having a son in school is an interesting opportunity for the father. The fantasies, of course, are about humiliating those teachers, but through the son, the father can create a different ending. So it's more than the fantasy that the father has. It's a reality now that can actually be changed. Living vicariously through the son, the son gets a bad grade, the father storms down to the school, accuses all the teachers of being idiots, accuses them of not recognizing the son's incredible talent. In essence, making the teachers pay for what happened to the narcissistic father. With the examples of the bullies, typically this is expressed in the same way, going to the teachers of the bullies and telling them that this behavior would not be tolerated because their son is great. Now, interestingly, in this particular example, the father actually does something useful and helpful for the son because it stops the bullying. But the reason for stopping the bullying is what I'm really talking about here. Again, the son is great. They should never be bullied because of their incredible, amazing nature. So maybe not the best reason, but again, the result does bring attention to bullying. Now, sometimes the father encourages the son to fight back physically instead of going through the system and reporting the violations. And again, I think this is to fulfill a fantasy It's the son doing something the father did not do. So what about the third example, the 
father being rejected by a love interest? Well, the rejection from romantic interest can go really two different ways. I've seen this in two different ways of clinical practice. Sometimes the father just says, don't worry about her, you can do better, right? Just a simplistic, basic answer. But other times, the father teaches the son to pursue, to pursue that love interest, the one that doesn't really want the son. And this is really more an effort to rewrite the father's experiences with a different outcome. Again, something he can't do in his own fantasies. So this is not just about letting the love interest know that she was a failure for rejecting the father, but is changing the outcome for the father. Again, by living through the son. The son is doing something the father can't do in his own past, in the father's own past. Now, of course, this route essentially teaches the son to become somebody who harasses women, right? By being too assertive and pushy. So, again, we see kind of a negative outcome with this type of fantasy going into the past. So, essentially, the fantasies are of addressing past wrongs. And they can be fulfilled through the son. The son is the younger version of the father. In the father's mind, though, the identities of the father and son are merged. The father wants success. He wants to fix the wrongs of the past. But he's also unwilling to tolerate a second failure. So if the same thing happens to the son, now the father has all the shame and the pain again. Right? He experiences this again which he's not going to let happen. So he's really going to work to make sure the son has a different experience. Now moving on to sign number five. This one is that the father could be emotionally distant, but not necessarily in the way that one might think. The father does not focus on the emotions the son is having, but rather the emotions that the father wants to talk about or wants the son to have. So imagine like, an athletic competition where the son is competing and he wins. The father might say, that must have felt great to beat that other athlete, even though the son may not feel great about it. So in a school situation, the son might get an A- minus on some project or in a class. And the father might say, you must feel terrible about getting that A-, minus, even though the son might have been very pleased to get that grade. So here we're really talking about emotions, and feelings like anger, revenge, confidence, strength, self-reliance, domination, devaluing competition, and looking out for oneself. And not so much emotions or feelings that the father believes may imply any type of weakness, like sadness, grief, loss, or confusion. So the point really in sign number five here is that even though the father is not emotionally distant exactly, in a sense he really is because he's focusing on emotions that aren't really important for the son or aren't emotions the son is really having in the first place. Sign number six is that the son may get abandoned for another child, perhaps a son or a daughter, that can allow the father to feel more fulfilled. So in the beginning, the father may have this enmeshed relationship with the son, but perhaps another child comes along who has the skills or abilities to be successful in a way the father wished he could have been. Perhaps the son was the initial focus of the father, but the son didn't admire the father enough. Or the father believes that spending time with the son is a bad investment. So there's kind of a Machiavellianistic component to the grandiose narcissistic father's behavior. So sign number seven is 
specifically for a situation in which there was a divorce or a separation. In these situations, the father is typically divisive, encourages the son to take sides with him against the mother. So the father might say, it was your mother's fault. Look and learn from this behavior because this is what women do. So again, kind of teaching the son to distrust women. And whether the father gets remarried or not, or finds a new partner or not, sometimes he just gives up on the relationship with the son. So we see here there's distancing and abandonment, even though the son didn't do anything to cause that. Research tells us that after a divorce, in terms of the father-son relationship and in a father-daughter relationship, if the father leaves, if he becomes non-custodial, the relationship tends to erode because of the father creating distance. I think some of this is really just a cost-benefit analysis. The father looks at the situation and says, it's not worth the hassle, like with the visitation schedule and all that. But I think some of the time, the distancing is put in there by the father as a way to punish the mother and to punish the son for being loyal to the mother to the extent that that happened. And even if that didn't happen, the father may punish the son anyway. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. The producers for this show are Christopher Breitigan and Madison Linden. The executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. For more content, please visit our website at arslanga.media. To leave feedback or suggestions, send an email to info at arslanga.media. To find more content from Dr. Grande, including a link to his YouTube channel and his other Ars Longa podcasts, visit our website at arslanga.media. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and should not be construed as medical or mental health advice. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. Welcome to the Bravery Academy. My name is Emma Ferris and I'm your host. This podcast is crafted to share the stories of courageous individuals who've overcome adversity and found the courage to live their best lives. We'll explore the science of well-being, courage and connection and interview top thought leaders, game changers and survivors. It is from these stories that we learn what resilience is, how to heal, how to recover and how to be brave.